Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of enterprise IT. This week, we're talking about, well, many different things, but we thought we'd start with some Microsoft news. Everyone and their household pets have no doubt by now seen the Windows 11 screenshots that leaked. And, you know, I'd have been really excited about this if this were the new GNOME desktop in around 2004. In 2021, it doesn't look like much. I don't know. Uh, On the other hand, I haven't touched a Windows desktop in... I'm trying to work it out now on my fingers and everyone out of fingers. It's been quite a while. Any of you have more recent Windows experience and can comment more intelligently? First, first, I just want to say that, Dominic, you are the biggest Apple fanboy that we know. So there's no way you will will give a fair and biased report to Microsoft. Um, (laughs) But... um, yeah, what can I say? I mean, I don't know who's copying who because I think when Windows ninety five came out, then Apple took some of those elements. So let's not let's not say that uh, that Windows is becoming more Apple like because I think that's what everybody was saying online. Um, I kind of liked it. I think it needs a refresh. Um, I think they're getting a lot a lot simpler, uh, a lot more user focused. I, I, I would say. Um, so I, I kind of liked what I saw, but again, that that won't be exactly what's going to happen at 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 the end of the day. Like you were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, I've been back on on Windows devices for a few years now for reasons to do with um, actually a very strange reason that the clicking sound of the Mac keyboard was impacting my marriage. Um, So I went back (laughs) quickly for that that reason. Meanwhile, my husband went off and got a Mac, and so I feel like that's really somewhat unfair. But um, I I felt like this new design, you know, I think you're you're, what you're saying is right. Like it's a little bit cleaner. It looks a little bit more attractive. Um, It's like a facelift. Nothing about it made me think, oh gosh, I must get my hands on this new Windows. It's wonderful. Come on, guys. It's, I mean, Windows, here we are again. I think it's great. Let's not be hard on them, right? They're evolving this thing. I like it. I'm with you, Dominic. I think this is, I love how it looks, uh, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. What's, what's not to like? Yeah, it looks it looks very clean. It just looks like an Ubuntu desktop. But I was also very quickly taking a note uh, to send Lilac a brace of Control M keyboards uh, <laughs> to do a Secret Santa. You know the ones wow. with a really loud click. Yes, yes those crazy, true. the crazy I'm mechanical. Kidding. Yeah, those yeah. crazy mechanical yeah. keyboards that are all the rage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to go back. I want to go back to this Ubuntu. Uh, what are we bringing up? Suse now, Linux, and <laughs> Office. Like, what's next, Dominic? No, you cannot. I'm not going to let you end it in that. No, no, this is great. It doesn't. No, it's not Ubuntu. This is this is uh, this is refreshing from from Microsoft. I I really feel like we need to take a moment and 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 acknowledge that where we've come from Windows 3.1, where you could each user could change the line of the box around every window and the font of the dialog boxes everywhere and we all spend days of our lives turning things various shades of mint green it was a good time and i'm really glad that we've made this progress all together (laughs) (laughs) i'll tell you one of the biggest features that i saw that i kind of liked is the snapping of of the windows i think that's where uh, maybe uh Mac could use a little um, help from from Microsoft, but I know a lot of people using uh, some large Dell monitors, which which I do. I mean, my regular uh, setup is a is a thirty four inch curved Dell, and I know everybody loads up some some Dell drivers to do different snap ins. But 
yeah, I think now they're they're starting to incorporate those into uh, into the OS, and I, I think that's great because a lot of people just find it a bit clunky. So this this integration of some of these tools that they're looking at is is actually nicer. And, and, and let's face it, for like a company that's a complete like Microsoft stack, I, I guess I could say, like you're using Office 365 and, and all Microsoft 365 features, then it just yeah, there's there's just an ease of use of Windows OS with those tools for collaboration that I think nobody else has kind of that whole like collaboration, ease of collaboration uh, figured out. So yeah, I, I think this is an evolution. And yeah, you know, they are losing, especially in the consumer market, they're losing share to 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 Mac OS. I mean, I I use Mac OS at home, but I work Chromebook on the other end. But Chromebook is just it's just web. I mean, can you do everything on a Chromebook? For me, it comes down to the hardware. I think that's really it for for Apple. I mean, honestly, if if I felt like there was solid piece of hardware as reliable as a MacBook, I don't even, I don't know that I care about the Mac OS anymore. I run Microsoft Office on my Mac OS. I run VMware images on it. I think if I've had a piece of hardware that was reliable, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to Apple. Their hardware to me is a is four steps above, right? When it comes to the iPad and, and the MacBook. Yeah, so but let me be that, even handed in in my distribution of shades for a moment here. Uh, oh, so that, whoa, whoa. <laughs> key <laughs> moment, key moment. Everybody record this, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope we are recording. The <laughs> the snap feature, so I'm glad to see that getting more time in the sun, but that's been in Windows for a long time. I remember back, certainly as far back as Windows XP, possibly earlier, you could snap things to the side of the screen. I did it with uh, my command uh, command prompt, the, the the DOS prompt. I said, snap one of those to the sides, and it would be long and thin, and so you could get a whole lot of scroll back buffer. And this looks like it's a bit more powerful than that, and that's something the Mac still does not have. And in fact, I run a little app uh, called Rectangle, and I'll stick it in as my recommendation in the show notes that lets me do this sort of thing in macOS, but it's not a built-in. So yeah, uh, Windows is ahead there and has been for quite a while. And this looks like it surfaces those features, which before were very much, you had to know about it uh, to find it. But I think if if you're using multiple screens and if you're using larger screens, I think you need a couple of different options. And and I'm the same way on Mac. I use Divi. Everybody uses something different on Mac. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I use it for. So they're all organized very carefully, and you can come in and uh, sort them out. I think we can all agree as people who run full screen, this are the true monsters. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think where Windows needs to really catch up is, or, or what Mac has done is there's a bit of like hands-off support on it, right? Like updates seem to happen magically. Um you know, there's there's never any issues. It's just it's it's a, it's solid, and I think that's where Windows needs to get. So, you know, it's not only about what we see in the UIs, but I think what they're doing behind the scenes that's going to be interesting to see if they get that if they get their complexity problem that they have today as simplified as as simplified as a Mac. I think they'll win over more customers, right? And and that's ultimately. Uh, where they're going, and yeah, I wouldn't pass. I, I wouldn't put anything past Satya that he has a a bigger vision here, and we'll only figure that out in a in, in a few years and be in awe. And that's typically the way it happens with Satya now. Satya is going after the business business, right? I mean, he always has. I mean, Apple. We knew back then they they penetrated the consumer market space. They got into the school systems, right? So the the education market. I mean, I mean, uh, 
a vertical, right? And then it's starting to pay off for them. It is paying off for them, right? So it's, it's kind of, I don't know if they're really apples to apples when I think about all this. I mean, I know we're talking about business use cases and these operating systems, but I just, I think that, um, I think what Microsoft is doing, Satya is doing, is they're, they're definitely focused on, you know, on business. And so I think that they'll, they'll succeed. But um, I, for me, it comes down to hardware. I, I just wish there was like a MacBook equivalent. Um, or maybe I guess I could run Windows on my Mac, right? Just leverage the MacBook. That's an expensive endeavor. Uh, <laughs> Sacrifice. Died a little bit. <laughs> you know, everybody. So, so here's the real thing, right? Everybody in the corporate world, I think, that runs a Mac typically has to run Windows in a VM. That's that. That's what I see more nope. often. No, no, no. Oh, come on. Come on. Oh, hold on. But... Parallels. You're, you're going to tell me you run Parallels. So you run. No, your... no. We're nope. we're, uh, we're a Mac only shop. I, mean, I think they're like you're fifty. There are 50 Windows desktops in the company. They're only by exception with management management approval. What what do you use for productivity? Are you on O365 or? Oh, I mean, we have uh, Google services, whatever they call this week. Uh, I use the native Mac apps to access them, though, uh, except mm. for actual Google Docs, Google Sheets. Wait, so you've been living your life without PowerPoint yeah. all this many years? How do you function? Oh no, I have uh, I have PowerPoint. Uh, that, that was by, but that was also by special concession. But you know, I, I prefer yeah, Keynote yeah. these days. Keynote has come a long way. If I have the choice, I go with Keynote. Take your temperature. Take your temperature, Dominic, right now, and make sure you're, feel, you're feeling good. Everything's okay. He's no, seriously, locked, if you haven't tried too long, locked up too long. <laughs> if you haven't tried Pages, Numbers, and Keynote recently, they are really, really good. And I would put them up against the, the office equivalents. Certainly for value for money. Uh, oh, <laughs> so you can't beat oh. that. That's not fair. You changed the They're denominator. free. <laughs> <laughs> I very much did. Slate of hand, you spotted that. You know, I've been using Google Slides once a week because I do sort of pro bono slide work as a side hustle for somebody. And um, and I have to tell you, uh, every time I do, I come back to PowerPoint with, with open arms and love if I could buy PowerPoint oh, yes. sort of flower. Because like, <laughs> it's just Google Slides does not hold a candle to PowerPoint. Oh, no. Not even close. But that's the general thing with Google Office. It just has not advanced at all. It's the same as it was functionally many, many years ago. And we all talked when we had the Google event recently that they launched some new collaboration features. They haven't gone live in our instance. I don't know if we have to do something special that our central IT hasn't done to make that happen. But otherwise, yeah, it looks exactly the same as it did the very first day I used Google Office it's all the same google's just terrible at at like like gmail i mean i suppose we can be grateful they haven't killed it and replaced it with two different products (laughs) with confusingly (laughs) similar names (laughs) but but you know think about google like if they got like if they just like up the notch on on their work workspaces or workplace whatever it's called like gmail and, and and sheets and and the presentation app, whatever it like, they're so forgettable and and so painful that you know even companies that use them, all their employees are trying to get it someplace else. I mean, if Google figured that out, like, you know, I mean, that's the road to your to your cloud, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, so, so if somebody's trying to make a cloud decision, then sees that this is their productivity tool set, and you want me to put my cloud infrastructure there, it's like, 
oh, are these guys who do windows in office or the guys who deliver boxes to my front door? I mean, that becomes like, it's an attention point, right? And man, Google needs to get their act together on on, on this stuff because it, it's just, it's reputational. It, it really is reputational. Did I just go on a rant? Sorry, you guys. Yeah, well, like, they've never like competed. Here. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I they... agree with you entirely, but they've never competed on the strength of their user interface. And outside, you know, Android, they make a big deal of their Android UI. Uh, but even there, you know, I think everyone would agree the uniformity of the Android UI has always been less than the, the Apple equivalent. And But it's good enough. They've got the, the lion's share of the online office collaboration market, and they could do massive investment in design and get another couple of percent. It's probably not worth it. They, they probably ran the numbers in Google Sheets. <laughs> I feel like also, you know, you're not getting the, you're not getting the power users, right? Like I think I think no. this is sort of the same thing as the low code no code debate against a, r- a group of actual developers. The actual developers are like, "What is this noise? Like there's you can't do anything real here." And I think I feel the same way about slides or sheets where I'm like, "No, I'm sorry. Like I I'm going to need 47 it's different options." simple stuff. Yesterday I was trying to to indent some bullets. And no. it, it couldn't. It couldn't indent the no. bullets right. That... No. <laughs> no, that's not an option. Yeah. Also, um, certain kinds of alignment, you can't distribute horizontally or vertically. These are things that I care deeply about in my heart, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that nobody else does, right? Outside of, like, there's a corporate former consultant neurosis that Google isn't interested in catering to. I, I think you're absolutely mm. right, yeah. And free doesn't, hey, free doesn't win out, right? Look at this. I mean, Google's been trying to do this for a while. So it goes to show you that, that there's there's use with Microsoft. And I mean, yeah. they're still here. Microsoft has stolen something from the Apple playbook, right? Because like Apple used to be all about like ease of use. And, and I think Microsoft has, has moved to that ease of use type of mentality, right? And it's become a bit neurotic. Now, do any of you guys use Teams? Like, are, yes. are you all... You know, sometimes like, teams just made a change on the presentation, the way you present slides. Like it's terrible. Like there's an extra click there. Like do not add that extra click. Like this is the kind of stuff that Apple would get neurotic about. Like ha- what's the fastest yes. way to, for people to share. And, and they went backwards there. I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, it, it feels like teams is like on an Island of its own in the whole like uh, Microsoft space. And they need to like get like, pulled in and, and, and standardized to the, to the rest of the Microsoft world. But, you know, it, it's going to get there. I mean, it c- continues to get better and better. This is the first time I saw like a, a step backwards from them. So, yeah, just. I mean, there's plenty of older pieces of software. I cuss WebEx almost every day, right? Because it just, there's, there's buttons in Zoom that work better. And that's just a really frustrating experience. Yeah, but the Microsoft stack, it's an interesting parallel because Google is kind of what Microsoft used to be. There are a million different products and each is built by its own team. And you get the feeling that those teams don't talk to each other and they don't like each other very much. And there's (laughs) no unified UI. And going back to Windows 11 for a moment, what I'm curious to see is how far the new look goes because I was trying to debug somebody's Windows laptop, my mother-in-law's actually, and very quickly down in the settings or control panel or whatever the thing is called, I was down in Windows NT4. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> and 
that's that used to be Microsoft, and you're right, they they've really stepped it up in terms of giving a unified experience. And what I always say to people who complain about Teams, it's like it's not Zoom; it's going for a different thing. But if you're all in on the Microsoft ecosystem, it is very very nice. It's all joined up. It's all there. It all just works. Uh, to coin a phrase, and. That's uh, that's where Google is now. The Google products experience is not unified. There's no guarantee that one thing will look like another. And if you go into some settings, admin, whatever screen, very quickly you'll find the Times New Roman and uh, a logo that's about five generations back. Um, material design, yeah, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> it's uh, very much the disconnected uh, approach. They're all they're all microservices addressable by API. And maybe that's what you need to do to be to be in the cloud because Amazon's kind of like that as well. Uh, and, uh, when you start to go behind the scenes, behind the curtain, Google is too geeky. Apple mm. is so focused on like aesthetics, looking good, um, you know that that perfect kind of experience. And, and Microsoft's the right in between there. That's that's the way I see it. So. Plus, you can play no, games. That, that, that made no sense know. to lie like it. No, I just don't know that I agree with it because my, my the people I know on Google typically are the sort of nonprofit, don't have the money making do types, right? Like the slides I make on the weekend are for a church, actually, um, and it's delightful. Um, and, you know, they're just not going to pay the subscription for the five or six or eight people that need the ability to to create and present these documents within an organization because it's, it's, that's a significant budget item for them in, in Microsoft. And, and they might be on Macs or they might be on other systems. And so I think Google is, is perhaps too geeky, but also kind of, I'm going to call it like low end, like they're the cheap one. Right. And so I, to that end though, I would expect them to be evolving towards something that might not address my needs as a like, you know, neurotic former consultant, but stuff that would actually make it easier for people that don't have that level of background to function in these tech, in these tools. And I, I think, you know, docs is fine. I use docs a fair bit, but like the slides and the spreadsheets are sorely lacking for what I think is a broadly layperson cost conscious market. Yeah, exactly. Docs is good enough and the collaboration features are what saves it. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you try to do anything serious, you get the text nailed down in docs, and then you import it into something else and do your layout there. And That's right. It would be nice if we just did Markdown. But moving off of that, well, actually, kind of staying on that topic, there was another discussion on Twitter before the Windows 11 leaks came out. Uh, someone became briefly the main character on Twitter by recommending that everyone learn coding in school, uh, which several people took exception to, me included. I'll drop a couple of links in the show notes. I I laid out my position in a blog post. So does any of you, do any of you have strong feelings about coding in school? Capitals. I mean, do your kids learn coding, Mike? Zach, I think yours are a little beyond that. I think there's a lot of uh, STEM stuff that kids do today. So it's kind of like coding, right? So like we have this um, iPad app called Osmo and there's some like coding features there. It, it becomes like if then else stuff mm-hmm. type, type stuff, right? That the, the kids do like, okay, should it be thought in school? I, I think what people are saying is like, hey, this is a good way to teach like critical thinking and like getting down to like an algorithm or problem solving or, or so on and so forth. Should it be taught taught in school? I mean, kind of 
I don't know if it's coding, but it's something of that nature. I, I, I actually do believe they should. So yeah, is Dominic going to rip us apart? I, like, uh, I think so. I think he will, which is, you know, kind of part of the joy. So Dominic, go for it. I, I, I might have his back a little bit I, on this. I, I don't know what he disagree. Said. You have his back. <laughs> no, let's see that. I might. I might. But now he says he doesn't disagree. So I want to see what he says. Right. <laughs> oh, I was hedging it. <laughs> so... <laughs> The, what I took issue with was this person was saying, oh, you should teach Python in school so that kids can get a job straight out of school. And I was like, eh, hang on a minute. So kids are in elementary school now, they're going to pop out of the far end in like 15 years easily, uh, probably a little bit more. And is Python even going to be around? It's probably going to be around, like Perl is still around and lots of things like that, but it's not going to have the kind of significance it does today. If we teach them Python today with the expectation this will be the key to them getting a job a dozen years from now, that that's wrong. That sort of vocational teaching, I don't think that's any use. I mean, even in university, I learned uh, Baker's dozen of programming languages, almost all of which are completely obsolete uh, at this point. If we do it as... You said for teaching the way of thinking about things and logic. Uh, I mean, or shouldn't we just teach uh, symbolic logic? Uh, I did that in school, in the vel and out and uh, writing things with uh, funny symbols. And that teaches kind of the same thing. Um, because the other factor is who's teaching the, the programming. The teachers that we have today, they can barely keep up with... You know, I was very impressed with how well our teachers did with remote schooling, but you could tell it's not necessarily <laughs> their medium, right? Touche, touche. <laughs> and they they were doing their best, and they did very, very well in very difficult circumstances. It's, it just wasn't their thing, though. It's not, it's not something that they were prepared for. And, you know, back in the Stone Age when, when I was in high school, that was even more the case. We did nominally have coding on the curriculum. It was Turbo Pascal. It was supposed to be taught by the maths and physics teacher. And somehow there was always more maths and physics to be learned instead. I think we did maybe half a dozen hours of the Turbo Pascal uh, <laughs> for three years. So that's the, the, the caveat that I have with all this stuff. There's so many resources online to learn something. Like you said, my kids into my eldest is into the, what's it called? The MIT thing, Scratch. Uh, it's a sort of semi-visual programming language. You draw it like uh, assembling a flowchart. And uh, he's super into that. He builds these cool little DJ app things. And that's more likely to get him into it than a random an hour every two or three weeks if there's nothing else on. That, that, that was my objection to it. That's a so fair Zach, objection, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think my uh, yeah, you did you did well. I agree on the Python. I'm so <laughs> so tired of hearing Python, Python, Python. I don't even see much of it anymore. You know, at least in the network world. And well, I, I see some, and it's kind of ridiculous. I think no, no one say containers. You might set them off even further. All right, all right, let's exactly. go. <laughs> no, but look, it's, it's, it's the foundation. It's like my son, uh, my middle son is is a math major, right? Hopefully, better have his degree within a year. Uh, you know, he's working on mathematics. And I think, I think to me, it's a foundation, math, the sciences. Let's focus there. I mean, this whole, I, I get it, right? Coding. And then, by the way, is it is it coding? And I mean, I can bring this up. I can bring up low code, no code. I mean, it's not really related. It kind of is. And I, I won't. But but I, I struggle with this. Like, oh, we got to learn coding in school. I feel like, okay, this is why we're five or 10 years behind all the time. Are we chasing? Or are we trying to figure out, you know, what we really, I mean, I don't know. I 
I, I agree with you for the most part. I, I, my answer is, I'm not saying no, we're not going to introduce, you know, computer science in schools. I'm not saying that at all, but focus on coding. No, absolutely not. I, I don't agree with that. Focus on mathematics and think about this. Where are your machine learning? And you know, we need to get these machine learning people on the show. I mean, they'll tell you the same thing. You know, it's, you want mathematics when it comes to AI. That's what you want. And when it comes to machine learning, and it's, it's, I think we need more of that, but, uh, my two cents. Data models, analytics. Yes, yes. Yeah, data, data models, analytics. And I, I think you're, yeah, so I, I can agree with that. I mean, it's, again, I think it comes down to what I said at the beginning. It's a kind of like the critical thinking, complex problem solving, and then you could apply that anywhere, right? So the coding is just like a way to simplify that. I, I like the low-code, no-code analogy because, yeah, you don't need to be a coder to do low-code, no-code, but you need to understand a bit about how you put things together, how you move from data from here to there, what you're going to do with the data. And then it's it's not so much like the code per se, but how you're manipulating, presenting things, um, deconstructing, reconstructing, analyzing, right? So yeah, I, 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 I agree with it. But you know, Dominic, you gave a good example, like, okay, you know, you start with this like MIT program or, or, or yeah, whatever program it is, and then kids get passionate about it. So I think it's like about building that passion. I mean, I remember when, when I was younger, I mean, we got our first PCs and we played games on them. Eventually you get bored of the games and it's like, hey, what else can this thing do? And next thing you know, you're programming and building something. And, and that's how a lot of us, uh, you know, got into the field that we were we are in in technology and i think it's it's just it's different now when when i hear somebody say like oh all kids should go th- get coding and it's this language and that I, I get it's like it's like some company doesn't have enough of these programmers or the programmers are asking too much money and they they want a cheap labor source that's what i i start to feel because again yeah. I, I think it does come down to the critical thinking part right so i mean everybody yeah. could just learn cobol and fortran and they're just going to be in the money for decades <laughs> <laughs> for what it's worth and maybe we put 2038 is coming up I'm just saying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're going in if you're is going into the job market in your Y2K cutoff was that the Y2K cutoff that uh, they reprogrammed it to 2038 no no it's is a different it? one that What's no no it's a different one that's the Unix epoch uh, when the it's a Unix epoch time rolls over and restarts from zero in all Unix family operating systems oh that's great Amazing. Um, yeah, I, I it'll mean, be fun. That's my retirement plan. That's uh, 2038. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My son uses Codable, and I think it's similar to Scratch. I think it requires just a little bit less reading and typing, right? Because he's a little bit younger. Um, but I think it's just basically teaching if then else. But to me, the, you know, the thing that I see when I'm watching him do this is, you know, he's sending a little bug through a maze or whatever using directional arrows and if then else and little functions that repeat a certain number of times. But there's a certain debugging quality to what he's doing. There's a certain resilience to like, let's try again. Let's see if we do this. Let's how, how does this work? And and that logical format, that logical brain pattern is something that feels like it will serve long term if he chooses chooses to go into development. Yeah. Yes. And that's the benefit of learning computer languages that are now obsolete, but they give you those reflexes and those categories. And you can say, ah, I recognize this problem. This is a manifestation of a category, uh, which I know. And so I can very quickly go and look for the two bits of information I need to make sense of 
how I can apply my existing knowledge rather than having to start from a complete blank slate. Uh, so in that sense, I completely agree. Uh, I just think that things are going to change so much. The on-ramp for uh, all of us, and I would wager most of our listeners, is different from the on-ramp for kids today, is different from the on-ramp of kids who are now in elementary school and thinking about this sort of thing. And, you know, we had to mess around with hardware and write autoexec.bat and rewrite it in a different way to make the game work. Uh, I was on the Mac, so I was messing around with uh, uh, with Apple scripts and things like that and uh, getting into the secrets debugger mode. It, it, this was the sort of thing that you had to do. These days, kids live in their tablets. They live in these online systems, so they the way they'll get into it is by scripting the online system itself or something along those lines. And that is an on-ramp that makes sense for today's business world. If you get your start messing around with online games, then the online sales force or whatever, that, that sort of thing is going to make sense to you instinctively in a way that a life of writing shell scripts will not prepare you for. So anyway, rant mode off. But that, that was what I, I took exception to in this simplistic, oh, kids should learn coding. And I, yeah, sure. Different way, different way. Yeah. Let's do a quick lightning round because there's still a couple of items in the uh, in the show notes, but I don't think either of these will take too long. Famous last words. Um, HBO Max did not blame the intern. <laughs> they put out an email, uh, which is supposed to be uh, integration testing template number one, which got everyone very excited about season two and what that would hold. Uh, but they put out a statement on Twitter saying, yes, it was the intern, and they did not fire the intern. They said the intern is getting help. And what I loved was everyone on Twitter was sharing the stories of the times they had taken down Prod as an intern. So I will now participate by telling you the story of the time I, as an intern, took down Prod. Because my on-ramp to serious server hardware was messing around with desktop class hardware, one of the ways in which you could find out what hardware was inside a desktop machine was you just rip off the side panel and look at it while it was running. Don't do that with big HP servers because they will just stop dead when you take off the side panels. <laughs> <laughs> and and then everyone was very, very unhappy. <laughs> so that was the, the central database for the department. And it was redundant, sort of, but both of the redundant disks were inside that same chassis I just hard power cycled. And uh, so I learned a lesson that day, and I didn't do it again. Did any of you ever take down Prod on a Friday? No. Not, no. not on a Friday, but I, I remember um, I was new to this AS thing called the AS400. There you go, Mike. I remember I worked at a uh, manufacturing company. Shout out to the AS400. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I remember, you know, and I didn't know anything. I knew enough. I could bury stuff on and off. I knew that. I knew how to, like, print jobs and stuff when there was an issue. And I remember the old Twin X cable going out there on the factory floor, and, you know, we had an issue, and, and we had token ring. So, you know, I've been taking stuff down. But back then, it was – I think it was different then. I, I don't know if, you know, um, the business could survive if, if I messed up something on the AS400, right? They, they'd go out break out their papers, and they, they would survive. But I think now it's probably – you know, much more focused in this digital world, right? To take something down. But have I taken stuff down? Yeah, I have probably more than I care to admit, right? But, um, you know, I, I always think about the AS400 because I'm so... No, you I'm are so on the record. Touching, yeah, well, I mean, touching that screen, I was like, oh, you know, uh, what am I doing? Okay, you know, very often. You know, I just, I, 
I, yeah, I took down some stuff there. It's amazing. My first experience with bigger systems was the VMS system that they let us use for um, Pascal coding training at college, which was also the same system that ran the university. <laughs> and um, luckily, oh, I was not a good enough hacker to avail myself of the greater joys of being on the same computer as my transcript. <laughs> but um, it, I, I remember yeah, that, that was the honors assignment. Retired. If you managed to re rewrite your own transcripts using Pascal, that, that was how you got the honors degree. That's, that is <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I was not there. I was not there, but it was, it was actually, um, you know, it was interesting because there were times or occasions where you, you sort of ended up hacking the IT department. You're like, so I'm going to need some more space is what I'm going to need. <laughs> Just call and get access. <laughs> it was great. I enjoyed it, you know, and, and being able to have touched That's a social engineering as well. It's a complete security yeah. curriculum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 1995 was a great year for computer science education. <laughs> I've done plenty of boneheaded things, but nothing that I want to share too loud. Except the time maybe that I called somebody because they made the new guy do mainframe OS upgrade testing. And yeah, I mean, maybe you forget that you should write log out instead of log off. And then next thing you know, you're on the phone at 3 a.m. with some high ups at IBM and everybody's like, you typed what? And you woke us all up? Nah, well, what can I do? <laughs> but hey, I woke up some important people. Who cares? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and uh, last link, I think this one was yours, Zach. Do you want to introduce it? Mental health funding. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I just, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the VC world. You know, um, Mike, we, you and I spoke about this. I think Shamanth brought this up over a year ago, a year and a half, two years ago, where a lot of the VC funding was, was moving away from traditional tech to, to uh, mental health and, and healthcare tech, you know, startups and, uh, Something that has me intrigued is, uh, what was it, Forward uh, Me or Forward Health, Mike? I forget the exact. I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes. But what was it, Mike? Forward? No, no. I remember us speaking about it, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it, it, I just think it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of focus there. And I, I, think it's, I think it's great. I think there's some good things coming out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my whole point in this is that, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, all this is really just the skyrocketing. I, as, as we speak to our colleagues, uh, both where we work and outside in other organizations, um, it's kind of like, uh, I think some companies are, they're kind of focusing on it as best as they can and giving people a day off. But I mean, really, is a day off going to do it? I don't know that they're doing it. I'm not saying they're not doing enough, but a day off isn't going to fix, you know, the problem we have in the workplace, right? I mean, we can talk all day about that, but but I do think it's, you know, there's something there. You wouldn't say a lot of this VC money just just uh, just floating there, and it's it goes way beyond. Uh, I think it's a different kind of pandemic. I call it the silent one, probably, because I think everybody's feeling something uh, coming out of this. So, any thoughts, guys? What's shocking to me is like um, I think that like the long term impact of COVID or what happened in lockdown is is still to be felt because. I, I've spoken to multiple people, like reevaluated their like life situations, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess they 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 reevaluate, measure what they're doing, and they they've left jobs. I, I mean, and and I'm not I'm not talking about like yeah, I found another job and walked away. I mean, no, it's like yeah, no, I'm done here. That's it. I, I you know, mic drop and I'm out. Either retired or yeah, I'll figure it out later. Um, and I think that all comes down to this. I'm not, I'm not saying they're making a mistake, but I think uh, the value system and uh, the time slowing down and, and what people are reevaluating 
has really changed and and the metrics of what people value have changed because of this year of lockdown right it's not really covid but it's a year of of lockdown inner thinking and yeah i think some people have um have redefined their purpose and i think purpose is changing for a lot of people i think companies are scared of it too because they're they're going to have some good people walk away um yeah that's 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 the way i take it so so the it makes other sense long covid yeah the other long covid absolutely so yeah, and it'll continue. It'll continue. There's this there's a sort of school of thought that would tell you that you can't process the grief while you're actually experiencing the trauma, right? And so once this ends, we are going to have a period of time where we have to handle what happened to us and and address it. Um and I and I think the impact of that being a global societal processing of what has occurred, I I do think it's going to take quite some time, right? Because I think a lot of people are hanging on thinking if only I get to the office, everything's going to be great again. And I, I will fully admit to be one of those people. Um, but then, you know, maybe it isn't what we remembered, or maybe it isn't how we'd want it to be, or maybe it hasn't changed or adapted to the way that we think it should be now, right? I've read tons of articles about people, even things like dress code, like, wait, why are you forcing me into, you know, a suit and heels right now? Um, again, when I just spent a year proving to you that I'm more than productive in my yoga pants. And, and then, you know, these sorts of things those sort of layer on with the cognitive dissonance of what we've walked out of and what we're walking into. So I think you're right. Super long COVID. Yeah. Well said, well said. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Certainly I had uh, a first communion and a wedding and I had to remind myself how to tie a knot in a tie uh, for the first time in a long while. And, oh, uh, you loved it. Don't lie. You loved I it. Did. We know you. <laughs> <laughs> we knew you did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the record as a Thai lover. Uh, but yeah, let's let's see how that works out. Well, it's well been... oh, hold on. Hold on. I have, to, I have to ask Dominic. You used to wear bow ties, right? If I'm not mistaken. Oh, no. Right? Did you tie no. your own? No? I never a bow tie. Never a bow tie. Okay. All right. No. Maybe I'm no, but uh, he did manage skinny tweed, so you know he doesn't have a lot of high ground. Yeah, <laughs> this Mike, is true. Mike tailored. He wears, he wears bow ties uh, on Saturday. No, I, I might have just moved a, to the south, tie, but I. But that's a different story, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Uh, so we should maybe have said at the top of the hour that uh, today is a public holiday for my co-hosts as uh, Juneteenth recognized for the first time this year officially. Last year, many companies were doing it on their own, but this uh, this year, the federal government stepped in as well. Uh, so I think that's a great thing that's happened. Uh, if at least we get one good legacy from 2020, let this be it. But uh, with that, uh, thank you all. I will not be talking to you for the next couple of weeks. I'm taking a couple of weeks off from the show, so I will leave you in my co-host's very capable hands. Uh, so I thank them and also all of you listeners. In the meantime, you can follow the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four or on our LinkedIn page. The theme music is by my good friend Renato Podesta. And please do continue to send us suggestions, topics, and guests uh, that we might invite for future episodes. I will be checking in on Twitter if you have any thoughts. Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.